so let me get this straight. You didn't know whether we had a, um, a, a like a guest at all, Andy. This is like a new thing to you. You just show up. You're you're the talent. Kind of the idea. Well, Julian, you're kind of you're kind of you're kind of Howard, and I'm Robin. That's the way I like to think about who the it. Fuck is, who is Robin? Okay, welcome everybody. So this is episode fourteen. Like, how how do we feel about the fact that we've had guests on all these other things? Like, what? You know, we could have made the show anything. We're still kind of figuring out what it is yep. that we want to make it. But but I think there have been eight. No, it can't be. But it feels like half of them have had guests or yeah. something like that. Yep. Like, how how do you feel that it's gone? Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, talk to me. What What is your perspective? I think it's been great. I think that um, the guests that are willing to open up more um, have been really helpful. I see our audience mm -hmm. being... Yeah. founders or startup employees and us really getting to like yeah. the the insides of like building a startup and sharing that with other yeah. people that's kind of been like the key and why like we should even mm -hmm. continue doing content so like as much as we could be open ourselves but also getting guests that fit that same profile so they probably had a company yeah. before um we i've seen that people who are are currently running companies that that company they're not as willing to share a lot of the details so that's been interesting right um right. so i think having people mm. that can tell those war stories and don't have to worry about other investors mm -hmm. or other employees like yep. thinking everything's okay or something like that i think that's kind of been like that that nugget so like this the whole second time founders piece it's i think it's exactly like mm -hmm. nails on what we want to deliver to people and also what I personally would have loved to listen to myself. It's, it's, we, so I, I met Andy, the people on the, on the panel here know this, but I, I met Andy in person for the first time this weekend. And first of all, the, uh, the room from which he does the show and the view from that room is way better than the view that I have from this room. So I'm looking out on a shitty street with snow everywhere and occasionally like massive snow plows going through it. You are looking at the New York skyline from 48th, from the 48th um, floor. Isn't that right, Andy? Big difference. That's correct. And I yeah. specifically told you not to tell anyone on the podcast. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. And Mr. you okay. said no promises. So yeah. I hear you on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Well, and now so it's all known. Yeah. Joe, so what, what do, you, do you think? Now, to me, I agree with you. Yeah, or, I, Julian, I, I sorry. Agree. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's been fun having the guests. Like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've been on a couple with the guests, and I've listened to all of them, obviously, with the guests. And yeah, it's just a brutal game we're in building these startups and hearing the stories of other founders. Um, you know, even having gone through some of them myself, it's still helpful and inspirational and and entertaining. So uh, it's been cool seeing these stories kind of surface and, you know, people being willing to talk is the big thing, like you said, Kevin. Being Joe, clear that someone has, has someone to, sh something to share that is not, uh, that is not, not like hedging. still under wraps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, re not hedging. That's true. Andy, go ahead. I don't think people understand how brutal the game is that we're in and how yeah. interesting it is. I think, yeah. jo Joe, you said something very interesting to the rest of us about your morning workout and how you how your morning workout translates to your success in startups. And if you would love to share up to you, I'd love you to tell the audience about that, because I thought that was the most interesting thing to just describe how brutal this really is. Yeah. So I grew up in Las Vegas. Uh, which is, you know, the fight capital of the world. My dad's from Cuba and boxing is kind of the national sport. So I grew up boxing and like did golden gloves and, you know, been training my whole life. And, you know, startup is not exactly great for your boxing career. So you fall out of shape, but um, it is something I've like really put effort getting back into. And I have a trainer that comes three times a week at 5 a.m. And like, he's an Olympic pro boxer, uh, or was on, you know, basically almost on the U S Olympic team. Uh, and like we're sparring and like getting punched in the face is like the perfect warm up for a day of building a company. And like, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's, yeah, it's the being 
having the confidence of knowing I could take a punch has actually probably been one of the most helpful things in my career. It was like, well, this sucks. Like some bad <laughs> shitty thing happened in the startup, but yeah, not as bad as when I got punched in the face and I made it through that. So um, uh, it is, yeah, other people will find that kind of calmness in meditation and you know, mm -hmm. lots of other things. But for me, boxing, I like have to be more brutal than the startup to, to like uh, make it through. The, the, and you talking about, it's funny because that persistence, it's also, I don't know if this resonates with you, but it's like having, having to go, let, let's say up to 10 rounds at the same time. You're just like, wait, okay, I'm getting punched in the face currently, but actually this is not the end either. I have to get punched in the face in 10 seconds. I have to get punched in the face in three, in three minutes. I have to get punched in the face several minutes from now, just on a consistent basis. So the, the persistence of being able to do it again and again and again has got to give you some kind of, um, some kind of, uh, longevity throughout knowing that you're going to, that it's actually not even the last punch you're going to take. Yeah. And it's even just that, like, you know, my training is at 5 a.m. So like I have to be up at 4 15. So you're like, it's dark. It's really cold. We're out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so like, you know, even getting up and walking down the stairs, knowing these, these punches are coming is like cross training for, for startup life. <laughs> yeah. And, and so do you ever, go ahead and do after you. Do you ever show up to work with a bloody nose? How does that work? I've definitely, yeah, I've definitely shown up bruised and battered. Uh, Jeez. Clout, my admin. She would be able to tell when I hadn't boxed because I would just get like cranky mm -hmm. and she'd be like, Hey, I booked you some time with your trainer. Uh, and like that, you know, that really helps, uh, just kind of release some of the just anxiety and frustration and yeah. Just when you get hate. caught in your head, it's one of the biggest things that a startup founder that you could probably, that's going to mess with you is that you're, you're caught in this world and no matter what it is that you're thinking about, you've got this one thing that's cycling through your brain. That's like, I don't know, some, somebody quit or, or some numbers aren't looking in the right direction. It, it is super important to have something that is going to get you out of that place, whatever that is. Right. And yeah. uh, so in some cases, uh, I know we want to talk a little bit about uh, what it was like to have situations in the past where we we were burning out or we were really burning the candle at both ends. Uh, Joe, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to hear maybe at the beginning of this, uh, what it is that uh, if, if you have a story of something like that happened to you and whether the physicality of what you were doing was sort of a good counterpoint, which is what I imagine it, it would be like. Yeah, I mean, it. it's kind of nonstop. I remember, you know, my wife used to ask me, when will things calm down? Haha. <laughs> And she no longer asked me that because, you know, she got tired of me, you know, kind of lying, but kind of just, I didn't know either. Like, it doesn't like, you know, I'd always think like, well, when we finish this round or when we hire this person. Always this think happens, that way. And it, it never does. It, yeah. It's just, you know, it gets harder and harder and the problems, mm -hmm. you know, mutate or whatever. And they get more and more people oriented which is, I think, something I did not expect. I was just like, oh, we're building cool stuff. That's right. But oh, this is and a product like, problem. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, it's the people problems. And like yep. those, you know, are emotionally exhausting because you care about these people, but like you have to make tough decisions and all those things. And have people disappoint you or, you know, not because they didn't work, but maybe they work too well and that they want to go on to their next thing or whatever. And mm -hmm. the kind of constant emotional up and down in that, like, you know, and family and friends and wife will see that distraction and see that kind mm -hmm. of, um, you know, just kind of distance in the thinking you, you get kind of stuck in. And, and yeah, like whether it's boxing or, you know, time off, like, I don't think I, I certainly have not found the perfect solution. Like boxing is the one thing I found that helps me, but yeah. This is, I, I remember know. I had a buddy of mine, a sort of external story to this, but who ran a startup for a long time. I, there, I, I don't know if this is something that maybe is a collective experience here, but uh, I will meet these founders. Usually I'll have met them several times throughout my career and you'll have this meeting or this series of meetings right around then when people are like, oh my God, I'm a three months runway. Uh, you know, we had a term sheet, but it got 
pulled out. And um, I remember having a meeting with a friend of mine who is uh, currently an investor in my company, but I, who I don't want to name because it's really his story, but I'll sort of anonymously say it. Uh, and, and he meets me at a bar in San Francisco. I used to just go to any random hotel right around Union Square, all those shitty hotels. I'm sure you know them. And uh, he met me and he was like, it's all coming apart. Like they pulled a term sheet. Like, I, I think this guy might do it and no, no, no. And what turned out to happen for him is that he ended up needing to move to Santa Cruz, which is like what he kind of like the thing that he needed to get some some space from San Francisco. And he ended up learning to surf. He had surfed with me maybe the first time ever. Yeah, but he was like a, what they would call like a kook, uh, like a beginning or surfer. Uh, and, but he found that, that the being in the water was the one thing that he had that allowed him to escape the psychological pressure of being in this place. Ultimately, he took his company, he turned it around. He, it, it became a remote company, which it wasn't at the time. And he made everything, he turned around the business model, everything. And the company became, I think it's at like 9 million, 10 million ARR right now. So it's actually working. But um, that he needed that escape. And for me, surfing is kind of like sometimes a similar thing like that. Kevin, do you have one? Um, exercise, meditation. Those are the only things that I've, uh, I, I play hockey. Mm -hmm. Like when things are going really well, I'll do like drop in hockey like once a, once a week. Um, but that's the first thing that usually falls off. Uh, I, I need to stay on my exercise. So I like to weight lift, um, and, uh, and also walking was really helpful. Um, other than that, I really haven't found anything. And I do look back and I think what we're mm -hmm. also talking about here is burnout. And like, I've been burned out before. Right. And like, I look back mm -hmm. and when I don't do those things, that's like an indication of I'm go I'm getting burnt out. So like when things are, are are so stressful at work, like I find myself like um, I have previously like started sleeping in later. Um, so I normally like now I I try to wake up at five. Right. Um, I go to bed really early, but then it turns into waking up at seven thirty. So like that's like an indication for me that I'm like burnt out like emotionally, and then it also pushes into the the physically as well. So I'll stop, I'll stop like working mm -hmm. out as much and hockey's the first, first thing to go. Um, and then you just like those things that were helping you out are now like working against you. And now you're also burnt out mentally as well. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I like to like, yeah. now I understand burnout a little bit more, but for me, it's kind of like every small thing that normally seems like very easy to do is just like it seems insurmountable it's like just a small thing happened right. and you're, you're just like you can't mentally even you're like oh my god my world is crumbling in mm -hmm. and it's just this it's just this state and it can last i don't know a couple of weeks a month two months but you need to sure. do whatever you can to get out of it i found myself like taking like a week off or something like that which typically i don't do and then trying to get back into that habit of, of working out and doing all those other things, meditating and all that. Mm -hmm. I'd also say that like when I'm burnt out, my diet goes to shit, which just, just makes your both your your physical and your yeah. your um, emotional well-being um, worse. But I know that not only founders experience this too, but also employees do as well. There's just people that um, it's really hard to, sure. especially when you have something that's that actually is working, right? When you when something that's not working, I find that you don't get as burnt out. Mm. Like it's just stressful, but it's like it, it's not like especially now. So I'd say that probably like I don't know a year ago, I was like just burnt to, to a crisp at my company because it was just working so well, and I was just like, I have to right now. The team's so small, I have to do all these things myself, and like it's mm -hmm. really up to me if this thing's successful or not. And so I put so much extra stress on myself. And I got myself into a place of, of burning out and all those things that, that all those, those things that I mentioned that were signs of me getting burnt out. I, I did, I have to, I had to take just a full, a full week off and just do nothing. And, and that helped. And I slowly got back to mm -hmm. being okay. 
Um, but it is a real thing. And I think now I try to look for those indicators. Um, and I try not to let things like go in like Joe's uh, version is like, is like boxing might, might be working out and hockey if I'm feeling like really great. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's super, super stressful. I think when, when you are, uh, and I remember, yeah. yeah, that is we're working on something that's just, actually working. It, it's, I think the companies that are working, the chances mm -hmm. of burnout are less. The ones that are working, you, you think it'd be yeah. counterintuitive actually. You, you would think, cause the stakes are low pre PMF to a degree. So you're kind of like, ah, this is another piece of trash that I worked on in the line of piece of trashes that I have had in my career or something. But I'd say, I say when a year it ago, actually I, began, be, yeah. I, I knew, I, I knew a year ago that we had PMF. An investor could not see it, but like founders, you knew it. You, you, yeah. you knew it. So I was like, mm -hmm. this is, this is up to me and, and my co-founder and the team to, to really lose. So, but yeah, before you have that, it's just like, what is there to lose? Yeah. Yeah. What is there? Kevin, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Kevin, do you, when you feel that burnout coming on, can you actually feel it coming on or is it like, oh shit, I think I'm burnt out. You realize, you know, weeks in that you're like, that this has happened. Uh, I, I do not. It's a great question. I, I, I can only notice it after the fact when like, when I mm -hmm. stop doing those things that make me like mentally or physically okay. Um, and then like the, the point at which I, I would be like, I'm burnt out is when like the smallest things go wrong and they just seem insurmountable. You're, you're just like, I cannot get, I can't even wrap my head around this one problem when like six mm -hmm. months ago, I'd say that's the end state of, of burnout, but. I like to think now that I could see the signs of it more, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if you can prevent it. It's just, you just, for me, it's like sticking to like a routine, but then once the stakes get higher and higher, um, you have more employees, you're making more revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you haven't started. I think another thing is that you haven't started hiring, hiring other people around you to really offload things. I think that's a huge thing to, to get out of burnout. Yeah. Um, maybe you, you haven't raised that round yet that you can hire those people. Um, but yeah, I think it's really tough even to this day for me. And I think I've, I've, well, I've actually like looking back at my previous company ship. Uh, I don't think that I actually was burnt out, even though that we like, we, we came from like the Uber, Uber of everything. John doors on our board, like, <laughs> <laughs> to like crashing and burning i actually don't yeah. think i was burnt out like it's really because at that point we we had growth and we were kind of like the market wasn't pulling us um we were actually like just coming up with ideas and cool things to build and it wasn't like mm -hmm. oh, we have to do this thing or else like we're not going to do that we're trying to find things to to grow the company and so it wasn't like you, you have these three employees and they're crying because they're getting so burnt out and this customer is is threatening to leave unless you add xyz xyz um uh feature which actually is like in the grand scheme of things that's a great indication of you have product market fit when you have customers that care so much that they're yelling and screaming yeah. at you and swearing at you now they may not be the best humans but that's a great example of, of having that. Um, so I don't think that I actually had that. What, what I did have after ship, um, I had, um, going into air house, I had like a lot of like mental health issues. I've talked a little bit, little bit about this before, but like my anxiety went up. I started having panic attacks as soon as we shut down the company and all of that, but it, it's not yeah. the same thing as, as burnout, I think. It, it, you know, it's interesting. I was looking at this. This is what kind of provoked the conversation is when I was looking at this, I take a lot of screenshots and I take a lot of photos because they're a form of record and memory for me. And I sent you the tweet from ship on the day that y'all publicly announced that you shut it down. And the reason that it was such a meaningful moment for me is I was like, oh my God, this big company, this is what I thought of as a big company at the time. At the time it is, was is shutting down. I, this is crazy. Now there's just so many, yeah. there's so much more capital and, and a series B at that stage is nothing. Yeah. 
But at that time, it was. Yeah. It was. But at the time, it must have felt like the, one of the biggest moments of your life. Were, were you? Were you? Were you really burnt out then, or is it more like? No, I wasn't uh, burnt out. A relief off of your mind. Yeah. Okay. No, I. I mm-hmm. was actually just like I was trying to internally. We were trying to re- like we were pivoting. I was trying to raise a bridge round. We had like. Uh, I got like a small bridge round from the in general investors just so I could like finish out our last like week of meetings with VCs mm-hmm. because we were that close. We we, we actually had a pro- product that we didn't launch um, that had a ton of traction on it, but not compared on to, to what we actually raised or anything like that. And we just couldn't sure. get, yeah. we couldn't get like, and also like if, if you pivot, like also recaps are impossible to do. Uh, like, Nobody wants to have those down rounds. Also, you have like big investors. They're not going to want to go back to the seed stage with you. Like it. So I, I, they're <laughs> right. not, they're not going to, they're, they're not going to want to follow you. And that, that's mm-hmm. actually, that that's makes total sense. Um, but I'd say that I was not burnt out at that time. I was just wanting to make it work so badly. And I was just like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And then as soon as we did shut it down and I was, I was no longer involved in like the shutdown process, which mm-hmm. is a process all on its own. Um, I was like, okay, like the next day incorporated Airhouse. We're like, okay, let's get moving on this thing. And I didn't take I, a break. I just love it, it. It means you had these insane expectations. Andy, I, I could see you nodding your head to this. It is an idea of gradual expectation rising. But for you, Kevin, it was kind of the opposite, like, bam, high, super high expectations. And it was basically zero ability to ever live up to that. Andy, what, what are you thinking right now? Just thinking about how it's so incredible how Kevin was able to go from shutting down ship to almost the next day incorporating Airhouse and starting yeah. a new company. It's like, crazy. I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh and I, I took to be six clear, I shouldn't have me. done that. I should not have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Don't be like Kevin, but accept uh, the successful parts. Go ahead. Andy. <laughs> I would need two solid years of like just chilling. Uh, I, I did. I think I took like seven, eight months in between Nanit and, and iterating on Vowel. And I even, I even think I should have taken more there. And when yeah. people typically ask me about this, like, what am I going to do next? I was like, take a year or two yeah. and just kind of chill out, get a normal job, do something that's easier because this is a mentally taxing industry that we're mm-hmm. in. It's, um, I did a study where a study, I, I looked up some, some things and I saw that Jack Dorsey, it took 18 months from Twitter to Square. I saw 18 months that from Steve Jobs from uh, from Apple to Next in the 80s. And so in my mind, 18 months was the right number. I don't know why. And I started being like, it's got to be 18 months. Like, that's the appropriate amount of time between companies. I think if you wait too long, like, you probably get too cushy. There's a bunch of, of people I know that, uh, that on this show, like, that, that are either they could be second-time founders. Like, I met with uh, Zach Sims from Code Academy who recently sold his company over the weekend. He didn't sell it over the weekend. I met him over the weekend. And, uh, and, and the idea that he would do it again is just so out of his mind. For me, I remember what it was like to be super burnt out and super anxious. And, and my savior at the time was a Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is one of the best video games of all time, by, as said by basically everybody. And, uh, and it's just like an open world game where you could just wander around. And so like, it would be my escape from reality and, and from the things that I needed to be able to get away from for a period of time. Right. Like I'm one of those people that's just constantly ruminating if there's an issue. And, um, and so I'm curious now, uh, what is it going to be that is going to get you out of it? And, and Joe, I'd be curious to hear from your perspective you know when you're in it and so how does how does one get out of it on purpose without uh eight weeks of of legend of zelda like what is what no one's going to take take you out of it no one's going to remove responsibilities off of your plate you have to do it for yourself and so how are you gonna what's the strategy so to speak what are the tactics that are going to get you from a burnt out state to a state where you can operate again yeah, I don't know that I have great solutions there. Um, sometimes 
you know, like at the hardest points where I've been just, I don't know, I don't know that I, my version of burnt out, I suppose, is I just get physically sick. Mm-hmm. Like my body just stops and I'll, you know, I just like can't function. Um, but it's tough because the work doesn't stop. Right. And, uh, it's always there. You know, so it's just kind of fighting through and, you know, eventually in startups, you know, we have a lot of tough days and a lot of bad days, but eventually stuff does start swinging into place and you get a few wins and you get a little bit more breathing room and, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't get easier, but it, it gets a little less dire. Um, so it's kind of just like staying alive to get to that. Like, I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I haven't found anything good. Kevin, what have you found? Just taking time off and like putting your notifications off. I like you, Julian, uh, video games, uh, they've actually never been a big thing in my life until after ship. And I just had this crazy anxiety. I actually got into Fortnite. It was just maybe a similar mm-hmm. open world game. <laughs> and, um, I, I, I would just play that for, and just try to escape. I'm and, free, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I've actually gotten pretty good at it now. Um, I'm a, I've never been a video mm-hmm. game. I'm just picturing connoisseur. Kevin talking shit to a bunch of 13-year-old boys, right? No, no, no. no. I don't <laughs> do any girls. mic. No, only solo. I only do solo. I, I don't play any group group uh, uh, playing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Forjo is so I, brutal. I have a great question for you that I'm really curious about. It was something kind of exceptional that happened this week. We didn't really pre-discuss it in any way, but I think it's pretty relevant. I, I think a lot of people, probably everybody on, on this panel has heard of the situation with Nikita Beer and the app gas. Okay. So, Joe, the reason I'm asking you, I'm curious for everyone else, but specifically your, um, your view on it is because you're the consumer king as far as I'm concerned, right? And, and because I don't know how to make things go viral in, in any way. And so... Uh, the story with Nikita Beer is he builds a company. I don't know about his history before that. Uh, he built a company called uh, uh, TBH, which means to be honest. And he makes it go viral somehow through lots of work, probably. And it goes viral with teens. And it's an app about giving compliments anonymously to your friends. And he takes that app. And he sells it to Facebook. I think there's a, a big thing about like Mark Zuckerberg himself was very impressed or some other thing like that. And he sells it to Facebook for $30 million. He goes to Facebook. He stays there for two years. He talks trash nonstop on Twitter about how Facebook is a horrible place. And then he leaves and immediately begins a new app called Gas App. Not immediately. It takes like a year. Again, 18 months, Andy. And uh, at that end of the 18-month period, he comes out with Gas App. The app is about anonymous compliments, the exact same thing that the previous app was about that he sold, TBH. And he sells it this time to Discord for a reported $58 million. And so I want to talk to you, first of all, about consumer, this crazy kind of consumer thing. I want to get your perspective about someone doing something just crazy like this, like using virality in this way, literally on the same market over and over and over again. Like what, when you saw that news, what were you thinking when you, when you sort of saw this guy and him shit talking on the internet with me for boy? Obviously, you know, it's super impressive and <laughs> it's so hard to succeed more than once. It's so hard to succeed once. <laughs> and I mean, you know, frankly, like, I still am like, was it a fluke that, like, when I built the, sure. the was, yeah. like, successful? Because I haven't proved it, you yeah. know, proven it since. Um, so, you know, a huge amount of respect for that. And, you know, what I, I don't, I've, like, met him in passing. I don't know him in any meaningful way. But, yeah. you know, as somebody I follow on Twitter and just kind of was in the space, I've always been impressed he has, you know, a strong point of view and and clearly an understanding of like 
a market and an emotional need and the like how that translates into flows in an app mm -hmm. to, to capture and you know he just iterates on that by like you know kind of what the current he's able to take that and frame it into the kind of current state of consumer apps you know pbh was i don't know three four years ago and to even though they are similar, like to do it again is still incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just like I have a, a huge amount of admiration and, you know, it's, it's impressive. It's different than how I think about building. Okay. Um, what do you mean by that? In the sense that, like, I, even though I've been in consumer, for better or worse, like I try to do very different things. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's part of me that's like, I, I wish I could convince myself to like go run back totally the, the playbook. You know, we've Just, had multiple yeah. discussions on like, hey, let's go do Cloud V2. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And not to say that, just because you've done it before, like you could do it again, it would be easy. Like, because, you know, it's not. But um, I want to like, push myself to try completely different spaces and, um, you know, context and users and problems. Uh, so it's just not how I think about building, but mm -hmm. I admire it. And I often wish I could emulate it more. His, his company was literally, I mean, it's, a, it's an app. I don't know what you can call it a company. It's his, it was identical, literally identical. Like, would you, Andy, would you ever start another baby monitor company? Would this <laughs> ever happen trying to? You're on mute. I was literally thinking the exact same thing and smiling and thinking mm -hmm. there is no way I'm starting another Natus. I feel the same. So I think it's just, I, yeah, are you going to start another breather? I mean, no. Whoa. Are, are yeah. you going to start another breather? <laughs> I would never. Yeah. So that's the thing. I it, I look at the space. I'm you're talking about burnout, bringing it back to the kind of that, that conversation. It's I'm burnt out on the space. Which is really like, I still love design the way that I always love design. And I love the idea of beautiful spaces. And I love the experience. You know, we went to a couple of hotels in, in New York for drinks or for dinner to say uh, this weekend. And I still am just enamored with physical space. And it, it means a great deal to me. But never again would I try to create that experience, even though the economic opportunity is still present, which it obviously is with Gatsap, because it's not the teenagers from 2015 that are the teenagers today by definition, right? And so, Kevin, I mean, but, you're going after the same space. It's like, yeah. it's, you know, Joe, go, go ahead. You had a thing. No, I, was, I mean, I was going to call this in that Kevin, I'm really interested because, like, he, you know, it's a continuation of what he was doing before and yeah. how he's stayed interested in that. Yeah, for me, I think so. It's the same reason that I moved to the Bay Area from Canada. I think that, like, once you've been in this this startup game for so long, you you truly realize your chance of success is just so small. And so I look to increase my odds in any any way I possibly can. So, like, moving to San Francisco from Canada, like, obviously, that increased my odds. Mm -hmm. met, met a lot of fantastic people, was able to raise venture a lot easier. All of those things, was able to build, I would, I would argue, a better team there, especially in the time that I did it. Um, and and also staying in the same sector, um, when we did have something, that actually, that was working at the tail end of ship, it was just like, I've been in, in this industry now that, and I'd still argue logistics is like untouched by technology. You don't have a lot of people that are really interested in it. It's not like, it's not like social. It's not like fintech. It's not like a lot of these other industries that just naturally draw people to it. So I just thought like, well, we, I don't know if this, this customer pain is there and there's not going to be a lot of people that are going to have my background that's in, in engineering technology. Also my background building physical mm -hmm. like infrastructure in like, we had a chip, we had warehouses and, 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 and couriers and all that. That is not at all what Airhouse is, by the way. We're a pure tech company. But there, the, I think that I would just come at mm. it with a very unusual set of um, uh, skills um, and experience that would increase my chances of success. Because you, you, you and, yeah. all, and, and it's a little different because once you're in like 
they call it let's call it silicon valley and that's not an actual like the, the place let's just call it as like a term once you get into like these circles you start seeing some like uh some success and it kind of makes it seem like it's a little easier but then you also you you start talking to so many other people mm -hmm. that have failed and it's it's there's a lot more mm -hmm. of those people and so i just high profile it. people that fail uh super high profile like there's there's so many of these companies mm -hmm. that are written to be the next whatever and they just like go down into nothing um mm -hmm. and so i just looked at it yeah. to be like to de-risk myself and what what drives me like it's it's not like being in the logistics space is like that is where my heart's at it's for me it's building really great products that make a difference for customers um or businesses lives that's what really drives me and so i just thought that i had a very unusual set of circumstances um that kind of led me and I, and I wanted to continue the the journey in the space kevin you are um one of the three people here that uh and i think all of us even though we're like interested in a new space or a different space or something all of us have improved our unit economics from our first company except for you joe because you had 90 percent margin on your thing and then you stupidly went to, I'm joking around with, uh, no, it was, it was stupid. <laughs> but then you went stupidly went in the other direction yeah, to 20% unit economics or whatever you had. Whereas the rest of us, in the case of Kevin was a negative unit economics. I started <laughs> in negative unit economics, ended up at 30. Andy, you had physical goods to move around. Uh, you know, once you get to 80% 80, 80 margins, you'd never go back. I think, is that the general view? I would hope I so. I agree with that. I mean, <laughs> someone asked me if I'd ever, I, mm -hmm. people ask me if I would ever do hardware ever again. And I, I, every time I unequivocally say no, I think it'd be super interesting to work at Apple and do hardware one day and like spend up for a that couple sounds, of years there. That sounds it's so like terrible. All the resources. That sounds no, so see, terrible. I just want to put my product. Oh. So I just want to know what it would be like. That's, I just want to know what it'd be like to design a product where you do not have the laws of startups. So you want to customize the chip, we'll build a custom chip. You want mm -hmm. to customize the ID, we'll build the moldings. You need this from a specific supplier and it's sold out, we'll get it for you. I think it would be wild. I'm not going to do it. Andy, what is it like to build a piece of hardware from scratch? Seriously, like actually walk us through it in a surface level way, like right now. What do you have to do? Sure. So uh, let, let's say it like this. I want to build hardware from scratch. You got to go raise a bunch of money, minimum $10 million. Minimum, if you're really, really, really scrappy. That's first mm -hmm. and foremost. Second, what does it look like? So you're going to do industrial design on the outside of the box. That's, so what does it look like? The inside of the box, how does it function? Uh, what is it supposed to do? Then you do a process where you start building boards. Mm -hmm. So if anyone's ever cracked open uh, any electronics, this is the green stuff in there, yeah. except for Apple, where it's no longer green. And you got to lay out your boards in an EVT phase, then a, then a DVT phase design validation, and then a PVT phase. And this takes like 16 months all in. And finally, by the end, you know if it'll actually work. And then you can go market it and sell it. And in 2014, you were able to do this with like pre-sales. So if everyone remembers Kickstarter, you could mm -hmm. sit there and say, I'll bring this to you in two years and I promise. And I'm sure we've all bought stuff on Kickstarter that yep. never showed. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is it's so unbelievably hard. What's it like to build an app, Julian? How many weeks did it take? What's it, I, I'm thinking about Joe. I'm sort of imagining you and I looking at each other, Joe. Yeah. Being like, I feel like I'm a fucking idiot right now. Like, I don't know anything that he's saying. <laughs> Or what the fuck he's talking about. It just makes me feel like the stupidest CEO or founder ever that has no really deep understanding of any specific thing. Somehow I've made my weird autistic thing work for me or whatever. But, it, <laughs> I, but I have no, but I have no skill. Like, I don't feel like I have that skill set that you have. But I guess it goes to show that you could have any type of combination of skill sets and find a way to make it work if you, if you see that market opportunity or something like that. I'm a big believer you can learn anything on the internet. You can learn anything from books and you can pretty much learn anything. I mean, look, mm -hmm. Elon learned market of rocket science in what, two years? So 
if he can learn rocket science, I bet you can learn how to do hardware if you put your mind towards it. I yeah. would, for anyone out there listening, do not learn how to do hardware. <laughs> it's not worth it. No, that is, no. that is not the right answer. Don't, there, if you have a very unique take on hardware that you think that you can build it better than anybody else, the thing about hardware, it, it's hard, but it's also, if it, if it is consumer electronics, all of this, it could be very defensible. Maybe you have some hardware that you have some community inside it or something like, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not going to give you a hard, mm -hmm. hardware idea because I don't have it. Um, I work, our customers mm -hmm. are building hardware all the, all the time and they have some fucking good businesses. It didn't take them $10 million to get started. Now they're probably are not a lot of consumer electronics uh, businesses out there, but physical goods, like to create a DTC brand, like you get up and running relatively low cost and like you could scale some of these companies and not give away a lot to investors. So I definitely do not want to discourage anybody. If you have a unique way to build something better than anybody else to mm -hmm. not go and do it. But Andy, you have PTSD I have a, I from have... this. So no, yeah. no, okay. Wait, wait, I'm wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. Wait, wait, panel. Wait, wait. Yeah. So first of all, Joe, Joe's been sitting with his virtual hand up for a little while. I'm really curious about that. And Joe, you had something. You had a moment. There was an insight. No, I, I was curious what Andy had to like unlearn or what's been the most different now building a, a SaaS, you know, consumer slash B2B company. Honestly, I think a lot of the lessons are very similar. But I think the difference is the reaction time. I mean, you can fix something instantly. Yeah. Uh, you can run an experiment. Like we, we used to be able to experiment with the website. That mm. was really the only thing you can experiment with. Now you can experiment and we can experiment with the app. We can bring new features to market. But there's all sorts of implications on firmware. And can we actually do it from our consumer electronics hardware? In software, you could basically do anything. I don't know, within a couple of weeks to a couple of months. Mm -hmm. I mean, barring real-time communication, which is the space I ended up in again. Um, you know, it's for me, it's like Breather was about concept and there was no period of discovery of product market fit where you're like, yeah, you guys like the idea, but you think the implementation is a piece of trash. That's what software is, right? Yeah. And so then you're like, oh yeah, in theory, that's good. Let's work on it for two years till one person fucking sticks and pays. And, and Breather wasn't like that. And I'm, and it doesn't sound like Nanit was like that. It was literally like, hey, you guys want a baby monitor though to de detect SIDS? Fuck yeah, let's buy it. Let's go, <laughs> right? So it's much simpler. You can, you can, you could sell so much with a landing page with D2C and you could sell so much with a landing page, but you can't really do that in software in the same way because boom, people turn the fuck out right away. And for any parents out there, we're going to turn what Julian just didn't set into a YouTube ad. So stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, there's uh, benefits. Yeah. There's the, benefits. The concept. In I, think, I think there's benefits and drawbacks to everything. Like I would say, so uh, I was in the, so ship, we were, uh, we sold directly to consumers. We, I don't, I don't want to say it was harder than building a, a hardware startup, but like we had warehouses, we had people that we had to hire, we had to move things around the world. Um, and now going into what is Airhouse, it's a two-sided marketplace. That takes like three years to build up liquidity. That's super hard and mm -hmm. it's very frustrating. Yeah. So I think that all, and also we, we sell to B2B um, and actually that's probably the easier side of things. Consumer is really hard to just figure out what, what the hell they want. Um, so I think for every everything, everything has its own level of difficulty, um, like marketplace liquidity, like it's going to take you three to four years. It just will. I don't know how you compare that to consumer electronics. Um, or if, if you have like, look at some of the people. Yeah. And the only, who, who are some like startup, uh, consumer electronic people, people out there, I think of, uh, only people from Apple. So that's probably a bad example, an example of why, why you want, want to potentially try to work there. Um, but I think all all of these different business models have their their drawbacks um, and and make it hard. Also, if it's easy, you you're gonna have fucking like fifty competitors yeah. out there. Like if you just make That's a it. SaaS product and it's like you could iterate so quickly, get it out in two weeks, 
you're going to have to outspend people, raise people. Everybody's going to be copying you. So there's no mode. So I think that there's all, there's trade-offs to everything that we all do. Kevin, I I really believe that that era that you and I kind of grew up in, that on-demand era that was post-Uber, was a bunch of people with, I mean, I don't know if I want to include you or I in that list exactly, but like, where we're just like a bunch of fucking idiots going like coffee, but on demand and being yeah. like laundry, but on demand. Yeah. And then, and then finding a way to, to bring the, the unit economics above zero. Right. right? That's what and, it was. And, but you don't really need to be that kind of a fucking genius to do it. Uh, and, and I think you have to be very naive. It's interesting because the person, <laughs> you have to be very naive, but there was, but that's what Uber, what was incredible about it at that time is everyone was like, oh my God, if this is possible, what else is possible? And there were a few places where it was, and it was worth maybe the worth all the experiments to try it out. What I'm interested in now though, is, is everyone seems to have gone in the direction of try really hard for a while to hit a thing with, with zero revenue and, and zero product market fit to hit a thing that might have a shot at 80% margins in gigantic scale, right? It's like, let's do the work instead of let's do the work after the, the yeah. raise no, I see, I see. and try to get the unit economics yeah. while heading, while, while the thing is fucking scaling and the costs are scaling, this is a little inside baseball, but still, like instead of that, it's like work really hard while there's no cost in order for to hit a thing that has 80% margin and gigantic scale. So it's actually like, I feel that we've all pivoted in our yes, method totally. to a thing that, that stays smaller for longer. Does that resonate? Yeah. I think in theory, I think there's very few businesses out there in reality that have viral growth plus network effects. And that's really what you're breaking this all down to. I think the beauty of, the beauty of hardware is revenue scales very quickly because the average selling price is pretty high, uh, especially in consumer electronics. And I want to be very clear here, Kevin, when I talk about hardware, I mean things with electronics in it, not right. consumer products. Mattress. A, there is a, ma yeah, not mattresses, not handles, not kitchenware, not anything else. It's just things where you have to actually lay custom boards. That's a very difficult task. And so when we, so it was great though, when you're selling something for 300 bucks and you could just power on mm -hmm. Instagram ads behind it. I mean, that was kind of yeah, the right. DTC gold rush of 2015 to 2020 until everyone in DTC realized that you can't just sell a product at lower margins than everyone else that's inferior and you actually have to sell a great product. Yeah. And I mean... If anyone remembers back in the day, as seen on TV, remember, or the proactive commercials, I mean, mm -hmm. consumer was a game of how do I scale it? How do I take a little, uh, how do I raise very little bit of capital? And then eventually, right. how do I go raise private equity? And somehow along the way, it became, and consumer being physical goods, let me go raise venture capital. Let me take lower margins and then hope to God I'll get there at scale. And mm -hmm. it's been very interesting to watch that trend play out. I'm really fascinated because this idea that because it the reason Breather started D, uh, B2C and then obviously the success, the fact that it even survived at all is because it, it ultimately it's like was driven by businesses who want a lot of space on quote unquote on demand with zero um, liabilities. And, and Nanit really, you were able to get that price point as a result of basically parent fear. And parents will pay any, no, you're, you're saying no. Okay, go on. Yeah. It's not fear. We never, and to this day, if you go to our website, we do not market fear. Okay. So then tell me. Uh, you market love, you market a product experience and okay. how did we get the price point? I mean, we've been, they, the CEO there has been religious on focusing on supply chain and cost structure. And the goal is to, at every Every time you scale a hardware business at a different revenue base, you actually get uh, cost down and you're actually able to get your margins up. And it's it's a very interesting industry, but we do not sell fear and we never have. Mm -hmm. But it, but why do you buy it though? That that would be for 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 Joe, so, Joe and myself. 
the people who have kids, I would say there's definitely a, a point of fear to having a baby monitor to, to make sure they're still breathing and all of that. You may not market that, and, and that's I mean, obviously that smart. Inherently in the category. <laughs> yes. Um, that's an inherent in the product category, uh, mm-hmm. but we don't market that, and we never have. And I think that's a losing proposition. That would be it's, terrible. It's interesting because be you terrible marketing. We should, the marketing stuff is interesting because it really, it, you know, Kevin. I it's we don't really see your marketing right, and at and at practice, you may like if you're not in the category of a solopreneur or something, you've never really seen our marketing. And, and so it's, it's interesting thinking about that, uh, like ship marketed itself, quote unquote, breather kind of, kind of vaguely marketed itself sort of now we're just so targeted on marketing that only that nobody sees and only our consumer sees. And, and it's, such, it, you know, I, I had subway ads, like you remember, I fucking, I sent you guys the subway ads and like, I'm just looking back on it now and I'm so embarrassed at the the gigantic waste of capital is is cool that we did the same your thing. brand in the subway in new york and it was same thing yeah you did it i didn't yeah. know you did it okay yeah. so you actually we, wait you ran subway ads and shit in SF? yeah well tell no, me in, about in it. new york in new york okay. We, were in, okay. we were in new york as well yeah we did we did full-on subway mm-hmm. ads and it was i think the biggest waste of capital that we did it was such a mistake right Coolest thing, biggest waste of capital. Yeah, exactly. Getting uh, all the pictures from your friends. Stokes <laughs> the ego of both yeah. Julian and Kevin in 2016. Yeah, 2018. We did billboards yeah. for Joy. You did? Wait, Cloud did billboards? No, I wish. That'd be fun. <laughs> uh, we did for Joy Mode billboards yeah. around LA. Mm. Um, it was just a remnant buy. It was like not that expensive, but it was like, yeah. Couldn't tie it to anything. Didn't do it again. So that is one of the biggest wastes of capital, I think, that the we all kind of vaguely agree on, even though we feel really cool about it. <laughs> and and then what would be number two? I, and actually, I'll, I'll start with something that is the inverse that I will gladly pay more money for today than I would not pay for last time. Last time, I refused to use recruiters, and I thought they were a gigantic waste. And in, in this business, I will pay a recruiter for literally anything at any time. And so that's the inverse for me. And so for y'all, what do you feel was a waste, your number two waste after subway ads? You're raising your hand, Andy. So I, I think it's very interesting you say that because I couldn't agree with you more about paying recruiters, that it's the it, it's a, it's almost a superpower. It just broadens the talent pool you can look at. Yes. But at the same time, I don't understand why everyone's always advised every startup founder to don't. not use recruiters. Yeah, yeah and, and that's the common wisdom in technology, yeah. in startup land. But yet mm. I view it as the exact same way you view it. So I'd love to hear Joe and Kevin's take on Yeah, I would love to hear him. I would love to hear it. Go ahead. Shout out to uh, Rivera and Diversa, our recruiting sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> I use artisanal personally. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, so specifically on the recruiters, um, it. Especially when you start hiring execs, I feel like there's no way around it. Like mm-hmm. to get access to the top people, you're gonna have to pay. And and mostly I've been happy with the service I've got and the advice and kind of counsel of the top recruiters can be, you know, really helpful. Um so yeah, that's a check. I'm I'm never excited about writing, but I don't hesitate to write. Mm-hmm. Um and I think so the related you know thing that was that's like worth spending money on, I think paying people as close to market rate as possible. So is like, you know, it's expensive and it like means often that we hire less people, but hiring more senior people and paying them, you know, mm-hmm. closer to market rate than like startup rate. Yeah, I agree with uh, that. Has is something I believe in. Mm-hmm. Kevin? Yeah, I I I'd say the same thing. Um I think this go around, I, I, I actually, I'm just trying to think of like, I'm really glad we kept the, the team small. Like we're, we are a marketplace and we just need to let that grow. And it took like three years. And so we didn't do a lot of, um, hiring, uh, until we did find that fit. We had liquidity in the marketplace. So I'm actually relatively happy on, on where we spent. 
Um, and it has been around, we probably did underspend on engineering. Um, and that's just because it's hard to know when exactly we were going to get enough liquidity in the marketplace. And then all of a sudden it hits and then you have your team and it's like, do you take time off to hire more people? But it's like, no, you don't, we don't like a marketplace takes, takes a long time to get going. So you don't have quite enough revenue just to justify raising more money to hire other people. Um, and so then you hire some CX people, um, and some ops people to kind of mask some of the problems that you have. Um, I don't think that we could have actually done it any differently again. I think that we could have maybe been a bit better on ad spend. Um, we were, we're in a pretty competitive, mm. um, uh, space. Um, there's like, we're, we're in a, it's called the 3PL space. So there's like 25,000 of these 3PLs in the U S alone. And they all compete on the on the same like Google AdWords. I think early days we got some of our earliest mm. customers from that stuff, but I think we probably like that that wasn't a differentiated piece of like customer acquisition. I think what we did start doing is start telling like what is our differentiation. I did a bunch of content, we do a lot of writing, all of that, but that's taken a long time to get going. And so maybe like maybe push that up a little bit more. But I think, yeah, now what what I want to spend more time on is product engineering like i i still have for foregone um hiring like a product leader um so it's myself and uh, our director of engineering that are doing everything um so we're a little light there but it's it's really tough i i wouldn't say that we made any big mistakes this time but before chip it was the fancy office the everyday lunches um it was the super senior mm. execs from xyz company that didn't do shit at all oh my God. to make anything better and if, they, right. if anything they slowed the company down um because we or that have, approved the subway ads uh no that was actually that they was, designed that was, them they didn't approve them no that was earlier <laughs> on that was earlier on with some of our early team members um so they, they were just trying to do things we were just trying, trying to grow um but like you should not be hiring super senior leaders until you have true product market fit. You're busting at the fucking seams. You know exactly mm -hmm. what you're going to do and execute on. We hire the, those type of people way too early, and they are very risk averse. So if you're trying to grow something that you don't have product market fit on, I think that that was a big mistake um, and also a very costly mistake. They get paid extremely, extremely well. Um, so I haven't made any of those same mistakes mm -hmm. this this time. Uh, but it's always a balancing act. But I agree with you guys on the recruiter side. I think you definitely should hire recruiters. It just makes everything more okay. efficient. Okay, I was wondering if you were going to be the opposite. Yeah. Nope. And so, Andy, last thing for you, you get time for you to run some subway ads, is I guess what I'm trying to say here. Everyone else has done it. It's your turn. I've been, uh, I've never done catered lunches. I've never done fancy offices. I've kind of run the Amazon model at both companies. Uh, I We've always paid close to market, as Joe said. I didn't use recruiters, though, as mm -hmm. much in the first company. We hired people off at deep. Uh, mm -hmm. And the two best hires I think I've ever made in my entire life came off Indeed, with one having a very atypical resume. And I, I love this individual. Um, mm -hmm. and, but now I, I use recruiters, I believe. They are great. I have used them for building out my senior leaders. And I just would love to know what the what the neg on is them. Because everyone always tells you don't use recruiters. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, so it's, someone it's, could tell me the reason. Yeah. I'll tell I will tell you what I think it is. We're coming up on time really quick. It is they feel that in product and engineering, they being in the startups, feel that in product and engineering, the best when you're a when you're a dev the best devs are your friends. If you're mm -hmm. a quote unquote hacker, the best hackers are your friends. And so that's the reason. But then it is, is overgeneralized into something like never hire recruiters under any circumstances. They'll send you people from Google. In reality, Silicon Valley recruiters, and to be clear, we're not talking about all recruiters here. We're talking about Silicon Valley recruiters dedicated to the craft of early stage startups. Mm -hmm. They cost an unbelievable amount of money. Andy, you helped me uh, find a, uh, or, or talk to firms and then Andreessen helped me too. Uh, it's 
general recruiters and I are told still you bad. who weren't very good also. <laughs> yeah. So so that is that's it. Uh, any last thoughts uh, from the panel? Next couple episodes, Amjad Massad, Sahil Avingia, a few other people. Any final thoughts from the panel before we go? No, I think this this has been a blast for me. I love doing this. It's one of my favorite times of the week. I'm glad that we've made episode 14 and, and we actually do have a solid following of hundreds of people that listen to us. Um, we've, we've gotten some, <laughs> yeah. some great comments. Mm -hmm. Um, so thanks for listening and, and we'll, we'll keep, keep it up. End it there. Thank you guys. Talk to you later. <laughs> bye bye. See you everybody. Bye. Second Time Founders Podcast.